This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, welcome back to With You in the Weeds. I am so excited to be in the studio today, and I have my husband, Shay, with me today. Good to be with you, Lynn. It's always good to be with you, Shay. And then we have Austin here today as well. Hey, I'm back, third wheel. Excited to to be here. Excited for our marriage counseling session this morning, huh? Right. Is this an intervention, Austin? (laughs) I don't know yet. Okay. It could get to that point. We're talking about broken trust, so you never know where this is going to go. But um, yeah, when we were designing our Managing Your Relationship series, we knew that we had to include the topic of broken trust, and it's just a really important part of managing any relationship. Yeah, we're, we're talking about trust today because it's a key ingredient in creating and maintaining healthy relationships. Without it, a relationship can't thrive or survive. And as I think about it, trust in relationships, it's kind of like gas in a car. You know, when it's full, you can go a long way. But when it's empty, you're stopped and you're going nowhere. And when you trust somebody, it means that you feel safe and your entire being knows that you're not alone. So if we're going to manage our relationships well, we have to know the basics of trust. Yeah, trust is like energy that adds fuel to the car. I love that analogy. Yeah, yeah. When when trust is broken, you know, at an institutional level, think the church or just in our relationships with others, people think that, you know what, God can't be trusted either. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were made by God for relationships. Um, God created us for created relationships for human flourishing. But uh, broken trust often makes having relationships difficult and keeps us really from the things that we were designed for. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's so important for us to just kind of figure out what is trust? We want to define what it is. And we also want to look at how is trust built? And something that goes along with that is who can we trust? How do we know what a trustworthy person looks like? And then lastly, we're just going to get into how is trust broken and what impact does that have in different aspects of life? Because it's something that we all are going to run into. So just basic definition, I would say that uh, trust is defined as the firm belief in the reliability, truth, and strength of someone. And it's really impossible to overstate the significance of how we learn to trust, because it happens in the earliest years of our life. And I just want to take a minute here to briefly explain this from a developmental perspective, because trust is really essential to our ability to form healthy relationships when we get into adulthood. And the reality is, is that a relationship isn't going to work and it's not going to last unless we have trust. So here's kind of how it works. From the day that we come home from the hospital, 
our brain has something called sponge neurons or mirror neurons. And those neurons are picking up cues from our environment, from the people around us, the people that are taking care of us. And it starts to form mental maps that guide our expectations and our comfort level in relationships. And the brain is just such an amazing machine. It's constantly picking up pieces of information and trying to make sense of them. And it, and what happens is it begins to assign trust to people based on these mental maps that have been created over the course of your lifetime. So think about this from infancy and you guys know this, right? We've we've had babies, right? They they trust you have. I mean, yes. <laughs> it's good, an important distinction. It's a good a, distinction. Just, let's yes. get that out of the way right. That right is now. true. Yes. Okay. Um, you were by my side though, so thank you for that. But um, yes, infants, they're tracking our facial expressions, gestures, tone of voice, and the behavior of the people around them. And so if you have a caregiver that's attentive and warm and responsive then before you even have language to speak, what's happening is is your brain and your body is starting to encode this felt sense of safety. But on the other hand, if your caregiver is, uh, let's say, cold or dismissive, they're unattentive, maybe they're absent or they're just really stressed out, then that felt sense of safety isn't being encoded into the brain. Yeah, it reminds me, right, that, that famous YouTube video, the still face experiment, right? Mm, we've, we've, mm-hmm. Most of us have probably seen that, but isn't there, there's a mom and she's interacting yes. with her child. I don't know how old he is, but she's, she's warm and expressive to the child and the child's laughing and, and responding to her. And she turns then away from him mm-hmm. and pays no attention to him. And he, sense the dis, he senses the disconnect and then starts to, starts to cry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That the baby's brain before it can even speak is just picking up on that sense of mom has gone away, where is she gone? And this causes the child to feel a lot of distress. And what research shows is that really children by the age of four already are beginning to have this sophisticated map of their world, and they can actually start to predict the behavior of their parents. So they can actually begin to detect false beliefs. Have you ever tried to lie to your four-year-old? <laughs> it doesn't go. <laughs> Never. What's going on at the Roush household? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they can start to sniff things out, right? At a, at a pretty young age. And they call you out on it. Our kids call us out on this and they could figure things out from an early age. In yeah. fact, Shay, don't you say that? Whenever you told kids, don't tell mom something, what would oh, happen? Oh, the first thing they would do is go tell mom. <laughs> yeah. They you... felt like I had betrayed the trust or the yeah. broken the family. Yeah. yeah. They, it upset them. Right. They would say, hey, don't mention this to mom. That's, right. That's the first thing they First do. thing they did was come and tell me. But that's a great example because what it shows is that young children already can start to detect if somebody's hiding something from them, lying to them. And then what happens is the child learns to alter or adjust their behavior in order to elicit a more desirable response from mom or dad. And so if you think about it at its deepest level, learning to trust is about survival. It's really where we begin to implicitly start to figure out the answers to some very critical questions like, who is going to respond to my needs when I'm hungry? 
Um, who will help me when I'm hurt? Is it okay for me to ask a question or make a mistake? Will this person still be here or are they going to leave if I upset them? And in previous episodes, we've referenced those four S's, um, like do we feel seen, safe, soothed, and secure? And, and at the earliest stages, these are the questions that we're asking. Those are the questions I'm still asking today. <laughs> well, that <laughs> that is a good point, Shay, because we take those same questions into adulthood. So you're exactly right. And it's a critical skill for us to learn how to get those needs met because that's what lays the foundation of a healthy relationship. Wow. that I mean, we could just close here and let's, let's yeah, do a that's whole a series lot. of episodes. But, <laughs> but let me make sure I got got everything that you just said so especially our listeners can get it. What you're saying is that from the moment that we're born, we have this sort of relational Wi-Fi signal built into us and it is looking for connection, especially with our mother and other primary caregivers, people. Mm -hmm. And so our entire bodily system is set up to perceive and to look for that trust and connection. Exactly. And so when we get it, we know cognitively and experientially that we can trust others. But if we don't get that from mothers, primary caregivers, whoever, then what you're saying is that can and it does negatively impact our ability to trust others in the future. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah, exactly. So these mental maps are really what set us up and wire us to determine what feels normal. So let's say you grow up with a parent who is manipulative or abusive, or they're just not there, they're absent. It's like setting a thermostat internally of what you think trust looks and feels like in a relationship. So let's say you grow up with a dad who cheats on your mom and leaves her for another woman. You know, your thermostat is set to think, well, that's how men are, you know? And, and I may then go into adulthood and be very distrusting of all men in adulthood, because that's what my mental map is telling me. That's, and I know we're going to get to how trust is built in a second, but just as you're sharing all this, the other thing that is striking me, especially I've been learning about this, all of this attachment research, it seems to confirm just the way that God has wired us. In other words, it's giving us a more clear picture of the nuts and bolts of how God wired us and made us. So as I hear this, I am i don't think this threatens the Bible at all. In fact, I just think it confirms mm -hmm. and gives us a Absolutely. greater understanding of what is it that God is doing and really, and Shannon, you're going to take it from here, how trust is built. We're learning so much about that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting how our ability to trust begins in an early age, as you were mentioning, Lynn, and, 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 so, um, and is so powerfully shaped by our life experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, another aspect of trust is just how fragile it is. I mean, it takes a long time to build trust, but it's delicate and, mm -hmm. and it's easily broken. You know, I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and, and I've seen couples make their vows on their wedding day, and it's always a really happy moment. And, sure. and their vows, let's be honest, you know, are so important because mm -hmm. it's it's not just declaring their present love, but it's declaring their their future love, their future promises to one another. And many times when you go through rough spots in a marriage, it's the vows that keep you in it for the long mm -hmm. haul and, 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 and keep you anchored so that you work through issues in your life. Um, but as someone who's been now married for 25 years, um, I, I know that, right, it's only a matter of time before a, a newly married couple 
who who's just vowed their eternal love to right. each other, right? <laughs> right off the bat, they're going to hurt one another. Right. Um, maybe they're going to say something uh, that is hurtful to towards the other person, or they're going to break a promise, or there's going to be an unmet need or an unmet expectation. I wouldn't know what that's you would like. Know that. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. <laughs> Don't mean to triangulate you here. Paulie and I are still waiting for our first fight. So <laughs> okay, I'll just okay, be okay. on the outside. Okay. You tell me what Great. that's like. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what we come to see is, is that trust isn't built on just one big moment, like making a vow on your wedding day, but it's actually something that's going to get built on many small moments over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, as that person shows that they are reliable that they're predictable and trustworthy. There's a growing sense in the marriage relationship of, yeah, huh, I, I really can trust mm-hmm. this person. Um, so, for example, you, you share your feelings with them, and they validate those feelings. Um, they don't dismiss you or just blow you off. Uh, they begin to respect your boundaries and demonstrate over time that they generally care for your well-being. They learn to serve and to look out for your interests instead of just their own. Um, that's why Paul says, right? He, he reminds husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. In other words, as you mature, you should learn to, to show consideration for the other person and, and their needs and who they are and how God has designed them to be. Yeah, funny story when we talk about marriage and trust. Um, this just kind of popped into my head. But do you remember that time I I grilled you a cheese sandwich and I accidentally, you know how cheese, you get it from the deli and there's like that thin piece of paper stuck to the cheese and you have to like carefully peel it off. So I made you the sandwich and I hadn't peeled the piece of paper off, but it was completely accidental because, you know, it was hard to see. And so you started eating it, and you thought that I had deliberately left the paper on the sandwich. I don't remember Because you thought I was trying to, like, choke you or poison you. So so I can't tell. Who does that say more about? Lynn and her inability to cook, or Shay believing that his wife is trying to poison him? Of all the ways to poison. Right. Let's Right. I'm going to have you choke on a piece of... Cheese paper. Let's put the cheese paper on Shay's grilled cheese. (laughs) Oh, Lynn. Yeah. You're a great cook. (laughs) I just want to say that. But uh, I am going to keep a closer eye out on you (laughs) as uh, I do have a life insurance (laughs) policy that expires in a few years. You better sleep with one eye open. I'm going to sleep with one eye open. That's good. But no, you know, uh, we recognize it. And Shay, I I think what I hear you saying is it just takes a long time to build trust Mm -hmm. in a relationship. And on the flip side, it's uh, that is those small moments build trust. Those small moments can also erode trust. Mm-hmm. And so just to, again, if you've been listening long enough, you know I love illustrations. A way that I'm thinking about this that's maybe helpful for our listeners is think of trust like a jar of marbles. And Julie and John Gottman, their marriage researchers, they've talked about this, that over time in a relationship, there's small moments that add marbles to the jar. You know, trust is not granted automatically in a relationship. It's slowly earned over a long period of time. And so as the months and the years pass, that jar, it gets filled up. And you learn not just in your mind, like, oh, yeah, I know this person loves me, but you get a deep experience that they do and that you can share your plans and your dreams and and your Mm -hmm. heart with somebody and that your feelings are going to be taken seriously, that this person or this group has 
your best interest at heart. And just a couple examples of what this process looks like come to my mind. The first, you know, it's in, in my job, my own story here at The Crossing. I started out, one, I had hair. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is not a myth. I had hair. There are photos and to prove it. That's right. Got to go deep on Facebook for that one. <laughs> but I started out volunteering with the college ministry, uh, Veritas. And slowly but surely, I built the trust of the directors, Ryan and Kermit, who eventually allowed me to start working full time for the ministry. And then eventually over six, seven, eight years, I was asked to be a director, uh, but it didn't happen right away, right? It took some time. Sure. And, and then eventually I came knocking on the counseling ministry door. Yeah. And I know you guys had to think and pray and decide if I was trustworthy enough for me to be a part of the team and glad you did. And I hope I don't blow it <laughs> going forward. So that's my story. But I think this makes sense also in other areas like the job market. You know, a lot of businesses that have summer long or year long internships as a way to get to know some of the up and coming employees and some of those interns get hired on full time. Why? Well, because over time they built up the trust of their employees. Yeah, it takes time. I think John Townsend breaks this down pretty simply when he talks about two basic kinds of trust, functional trust and relational trust. He describes functional trust as when you can depend on the other person's behavior and commitments. So basically, when you're away from that person, you know that that person will do what they say they will do. Mm -hmm. So there's no discrepancy between words and actions. You don't have to monitor them. You don't have to check in on them and in their absence all the time to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But he says the second type of trust, relational trust, goes deeper. This has to do with whether or not it is safe to be vulnerable with this person, with your thoughts and feelings? Will they handle those with mm -hmm. confidence, mm -hmm. with, with care? Uh, how will they react when you make a mistake or admit weakness? Th this is where emotional intimacy will either grow deeper or there will be a sense in which the other person hasn't earned your relational trust. You know, Pro Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man of many friends comes to ruin but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And, and I think in a sense, that's what Townsend is talking about when he talks about relational trust. We need these kinds of people, these kinds of relationships in our lives. Um, people that we can go to that we know we can trust them. They're not mm -hmm. going to judge us. They're not going to betray our confidence. We can be open and honest about our lives. And we could, we could talk so much more about that. I hope we do in the future. Um, but, but trust is basically the thread that holds two people together. So when trust is damaged, the thread is severed and, and the disconnection begins. Now, it depends to what degree that betrayal is to, de to determine what the future of the relationship will look like, right? Mm -hmm. and, and although we can offer forgiveness, depending upon the offense, the, the relationship may not be reconciled in the same way. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to hit on part two, because that is such an important piece about whether or not uh, trust can be repaired once it's been broken. But I think this is a great time, kind of like you were talking about, Shay, to just name some of the characteristics of what a trustworthy person looks like. And there's three that come to my mind. The first one is just integrity. And that means that just so far as you know that this person is 
forthcoming with information. They're honest. They don't react offensively when you ask them a question. This person isn't hiding or keeping secrets from you. In a sense, it's it's like their life is an open book. They're they're very transparent. And the word integrity is actually derived from the word integer, which means whole. And so basically this is somebody that they are who they say they are. They're a whole person. They don't act one way with you and then turn around and act another way with another person. And that's what a disintegrated person does. And the second thing I would say is that this person um, takes responsibility. They choose to own their responsibility. And I think this speaks to that functional trust, Shay, that you mentioned. You know, do they show up to work on time? Do they respond to requests in a timely manner? Do they take responsibility for themselves, like what's in their heart, their thoughts, their feelings, uh, their actions, their sobriety, their, their faith, their growth, their desires, their attitudes, all of these things that are in their circle, do they take ownership of them or do they push those things off to other people and make others responsible. And then the last thing I would say that you're looking for in a trustworthy person is accountability. So does this person demonstrate um, that when they make a mistake or let's say they do break your trust, that they're willing to own it, that they apologize, they make amends? And this gets to that relational trust that Shay was talking about. It's, It's dependent on whether that person gets the impact that they have on you. In counseling, we call this the, quote, impact question. In other words, does this person recognize the impact that their words and their actions have on you? Do they get it? Do they see it? And this is what's going to determine that level of risk and vulnerability. Yeah, so so what you're talking about is, let me just sum these up. You're saying the things to look for are they have to have integrity, mm-hmm. they have to have responsibility, and they have to have accountability. And I'm really glad that you're saying this because if you've been someone who just has a history of broken trust over your lifetime, you might not know even what to look for. Sure. So it's really great. And I'm so glad that we're naming these very clearly. Yeah, that's what a safe person looks like. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. So now we're getting into how trust is broken. And back to your discussion on attachment limb, you know, if you grew up with a parent who wasn't a person of integrity and they weren't reliable and they weren't accountable for their actions, they didn't take responsibility for themselves. Therefore, we may not intuitively know what to look for Mm -hmm. in a trustworthy or a safe person. And so, Shay, you even mentioned how fragile trust is and and how long it takes to build up and how quickly it can be shattered. And that's because those marble-in-the-jar moments, like the Gottmans describe, they're not only opportunities to build trust, but they're opportunities to betray and lose trust. And I just want to name, you know, there's a spectrum, I think, of broken trust here. You know, some hurts or offenses or breaches of trust, they only take out one marble. You know, I'm in charge of trash at my house, and last week I forgot to put out the recycling. You know, Polly was a little annoyed. That's a one marble offense, but by and large, no big deal. 
but some breaches of trust, they take out like 500 marbles. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a few people over the years who they found out their dad had an entirely different family in a completely different city. And they didn't find out until Mm. late teens, early 20s. Mm. Another wife, another kids, no idea about this double life. That is a 500, if not 5,000 marble offense. The, The trust in their dad has just been completely lost. And then just to add and acknowledge even one more layer here, those same mechanisms that are involved in trusting people, they're the same ones that we use to trust God. Mm, mm-hmm. In other words, it's not like we have a different set of tools to trust God vertically and then trust people horizontally. We're using the same ones. Good point. And that's really important because those experiences of trusting people impacts our ability to trust in God. You know, that the person, to use that example, the person whose dad was living a double life, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I know in a lot of cases it's true, that they now have trouble trusting God in the future. Sure. Now, what I'm not saying is that's an excuse to stop loving God and have faith in him. But what I am saying, and I hope what our listeners hear, is that it makes total sense why somebody would start questioning God's trustworthiness if they've had their trust broken by a person. Yes, Austin, I I think that's so true. You know, when people have experienced broken trust in human relationships, it definitely makes trusting God all that more difficult. Uh, I I sit and talk with a lot of people as a pastor, and I hear many stories about how people grow up and come from some pretty traumatic and broken situations. And what I've noticed is is that when a person hasn't had a trustworthy, reliable caregiver caregiver in childhood, it's much more difficult for them to believe and trust that God is good Mm -hmm. and will take care of them and be there for them. And I do want to say something here as it relates to marriage. Uh, back to what you mentioned, Lynn. When our parents, when mom or dad routinely fail to show up physically or emotionally, uh, it, it could be maybe you grew up with an alcoholic in the family. I, I think over time, kids think, I, I can't trust this person. And, and so I don't want to be hurt by them. So they think, you know what? I can only trust myself. Exactly. Because they've disappointed me over and over and over. They harden themselves in some sense. Mm-hmm. So they think if I protect myself and don't trust anyone, then I won't be hurt like that again, right? Yeah. And I think two people then come into a marriage relationship with this baggage, if I can say that, and and trust and openness with your spouse is hard Mm -hmm. because this has been your experience in your childhood. And so you want to have a connection and and you want to be open and intimate and and trust your heart to another person. But it's often difficult because what you've seen growing up. So now in adulthood, I'm struggling to trust God And I think, wow, I'm not a very mature person or I'm failing as a Christian. But it might be as a result of the fact that you couldn't really trust others growing up. So there isn't a category there for you to believe that God loves you and that you can depend upon him. But I do want to say that that's why I think the gospel is so powerful. See, we as Christians have because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have now a heavenly Father who loves us and who cares for us as much as he loves and does his own son. And the more we rest our hearts in that truth and find our identity in that, 
even when we have no one else in life to trust, um, we, we can have something, right? We, we can know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us when everything else in this life gives away. We can depend upon Him. And when we, find, when we trust Him, when we find our identity in Him, then we can have something to offer others out of that fullness, out yeah. of that identity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I just want to name and acknowledge what you're saying, Shay, because we see this all the time. And that's what we call that head-heart gap. We literally encounter this with people on a regular basis because a person says, I know the Bible says that God loves me, but I don't feel like he loves me. Or they say, I know the Bible says that I can trust God, but that's terrifying to me because everyone I've ever trusted in my life has hurt me. And honestly, one of the reasons why we created this podcast is that we want people to understand both the psychological and developmental and then the spiritual aspects of what's happening inside of you. Because until you really understand how both of these things work together, you're going to feel stuck. You're going to feel like there's something really wrong with you. I mean, this gap is real because our life experiences shape how we are going to view view God both positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe if you're hearing that, that might sound on the one hand like bad news. Like I have so many experiences that do not allow me to experientially trust God. So I want to name that and acknowledge that and say that's where you are. Mm-hmm. But yet the good news is Jesus is more committed and honestly more stubborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he is committed to filling up that experiential bucket through reading his word, through community with other people. So if you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so far, that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's actually hope. And that's the reason just to take a next step. But I'm so glad that you can explicitly name kind of this head heart gap. Mm-hmm. So so we've covered how trust is built, how it's broken, and now we want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the impact of broken trust in relationships. And I'll just say a, a couple things here. First is, I hope it's completely obvious, having our trust broken hurts, period. It costs us something. And only the victim really knows the cost of that broken trust. What I mean is that the person who had their trust broken knows how many marbles were lost. So let's say, for example, a parent forgets to call their, you know, 20-year-old on their birthday, but they call them the next day. To an outside observer, we might say, oh, that's a five-marble offense, just lost five marbles. It's not not okay that they forgot, but they called the next day and apologized. Plus, the kid was 20, so they won't or they shouldn't be all that hurt. (laughs) Seems all good, right? Well, maybe, but in another sense, that 20-year-old, that might have been a 100-marble offense because that's the eighth year in a row their parent forgot about their birthday. Mm-hmm. So my point is that only the victim of the broken trust really knows the true impact and how many marbles were lost. Yeah, it's the, important to yeah. understand, yeah. Yeah, the other piece I, I want to mention, and we'll spend most of our time here, is to talk a little bit about the ways that trust can be broken in different spheres of life. And, and what we know is that that rupture, the broken trust, it's a normal occurrence, and we can't avoid it because we're living under the curse of sin and things are broken now. And so we thought it'd be good just to highlight what broken trust might look like in the following four areas of life. We're going to do friendships, marriages, jobs, and then parenting or family. And as we walk through these areas, we'll tell maybe some personal stories, real life stories with clients or people we've worked with in ministry with the hopes that you can identify. So the first is friendship. 
I'll kick us off when I was the guilty party here. Mm. Uh, the end of the story is that I stole in seventh grade my best friend's Mark McGuire baseball card. <laughs> this oh. is the late 90s, the height yeah. of the steroid era. McGuire and Sosa are doing the home run um, race. A anyway, my buddy and I, we'd get together after school, open up packs of cards. Now, I was using my own money, so I'd get one pack. And then my buddy, he he had his dad's finances. He had like 10 to 20 oh, packs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he gets this really rare Maguire card, and I'm kind of like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, like, <laughs> my precious. <laughs> and for some reason, he asked me before I left just to put that card in his room. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. Do, do, do. Oh. And then I swiped it. And I, I oh, very wow. much, there's more to that story, but it's enough to say I lost the trust of my friend mm -hmm. big time. Now, uh, maybe you guys, if you're listening, you didn't have your baseball card stolen, but maybe you had a friend start dating somebody you really liked and hope to date one day, or maybe they're dating somebody you used to date. They did it behind your back. Not quite sure, but, but all that to say, broken trust can show up in friendships. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And, and those are some, some great examples that I think we can all relate to, but I want to talk a little bit about how it shows up in marriage. Um, because this is where broken trust and betrayal, I think can be the most hurtful because the marriage relationship is designed to be the safest place for that deep emotional intimacy to occur. And I think that betrayal in marriage could honestly be its own separate episode, and we may do that down the road. But I will just simply say that the price of trust in marriage is very high because the person that can betray you the most deeply is the person that you have chosen to trust the most completely. This is someone that you have given your heart and your soul to. And so when that betrayal happens, it is a deep breach of trust. And honestly, it's kind of the thing that we fear most because it shakes us at our core. If someone that you've loved and that you've put your trust in breaks that trust, it can make you question your own sanity. And, and it really makes you turn and look at the past as a long series of questions and doubts, and you're looking back with hindsight and you're analyzing every moment, like, was this really true? Was any of this true? Did he really love, you know, did he really love me? Was this all a sham, you know? And so this deep kind of betrayal, it, it can actually cause you to feel sick inside. You might even feel nauseous. It's like this guttural reaction because basically what's happening, remember that mental map that we talked about that gets established? That mental map that we have previously depended on has been obliterated. And now it's like mm. we have to reconstruct a new mental map. We, and now we're left not knowing where we are, where we're going. We feel like we're in a fog. We've lost sense of direction, what's up, what's down. I mean, that's how deep betrayal goes when it's broken in a marriage. Yeah. So let's think about what builds uh, lack of trust in a, in a workplace or breaks uh, trust in a workplace. Um, you know, the thing I think of right off the top of my head is, is the lack of honesty uh, on behalf of either the employer or the employee. Um, in other words, they don't do what they say they're going to mm -hmm. do. And so suspicion, um, those kind of things begin to build. Or think about this even on a deeper level. Our desire for power or money, right, becomes an idol in our lives and therefore, we begin to resent and envy others in the workplace. Uh, so much conflict, so much lack of trust happens because of, I think, sometimes these sins that are operating in our hearts. 
So we're always having relational conflict and, and when, right, when people take credit for other people's work, um, people don't trust each other as a result. Uh, people can't rejoice when other people are rejoicing. You know, they've got a, a promotion or a raise at work, and you can't really be happy mm-hmm. for them because you're envious of them. Um, or conversely, we kind of rejoice sometimes when other people are weak, uh, weeping, when they get knocked down a little bit or they're demoted. Inside, we're kind of happy that that mm-hmm. happened because we're comparing ourselves with them. We're playing this comparison game. Um it's the opposite, all of that, right, of love and, and wanting others to succeed and truly being happy for them when they do. You know, um, I think the older I get, or, or maybe just the, the more I believe that my identity is found in Jesus, I think the better I'm getting at, at this. Instead of comparing and competing and even at, at times undermining other people in the workplace or taking credit for their work, I, I can now support others and, and work for their success and truly be happy for their success. Why? Because I know my identity is found in Jesus. If Jesus loves me and the God of the universe loves me and is for me and cares for me, I, I can be okay when I'm maybe not getting the recognition that I think that I can deserve, mm-hmm. that I deserve. Yeah, that's really, that's really good, Shay. Uh, last, last area we've got is families and parenting. And so a couple different things here. Maybe you're a parent and you made a lot of promises about showing up to your kids' games and just haven't been able to. That's a, that could be broken trust. Or maybe you've got kids from a previous marriage that you're trying to spend time with them or provide money, money for, but you haven't been able to do that, haven't been able to be present like the way you want. Or maybe you've lost trust in your own parents uh, or your in-laws for some reason. You know, I've, I've known people and who've left their kids with their parents only to find out when they got back from that vacation that the parents were too harsh with their kids. Uh, or maybe you've got a parent who does not or who has never respected your spouse or mm. the person that you're dating. You know, they're making passive-aggressive comments, complaining, things like that. So the, these are that's just another way that trust can be broken in families. So I don't know about you guys, even as we've been talking here, I'm feeling just a little deflated and mm. can see myself sliding into cynicism and skepticism. Like, is it even, is there even a point to any of this? And Allender, Dan Allender captured this in an article that he wrote. He said, broken trust eventually hardens the arteries of trust and causes us to become cynical and suspicious. Mm. And this is what can happen if and when broken trust between others is not acknowledged and repaired. Uh, but to do so is possible because God hasn't left us alone in the face of broken trust. Yeah, and so we turn to him to be healed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to be our comfort, our refuge. Uh, in, in fact, many of the Psalms right, were, were written from a place of loneliness, uh, a place of pain and, and betrayal, of abandonment and loss. Um, so we're given many visuals of the psalmist continually reminding himself that God is his refuge a strong tower, a fortress, a safe hiding place in the midst of broken trust. Um, the psalmist recognizes that God is unchanging and a reliable source worthy of his trust. You think about this, David, right, the desert king. He, he writes several psalms uh, in, in the midst of Saul trying to kill him. 
obviously there's been a relational right. broken trust. A little right bit there. of broken trust there. Um, but but several um, of the Psalms are written from him fleeing Saul and being in the desert. One of my favorites is Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, which gives me hope. But he's, David writes this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Yeah, I love those psalms, and they're just so encouraging because we are comforted by knowing that God is our firm foundation even when others fail us, even when others break our trust. Um, You guys know that I grew up attending Moody Church, and there's this verse, and it's just burned into my memory because it's written on the back wall of the sanctuary there, and it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's from Hebrews 13.8. And so when we think about how often we place our trust in human relationships, and then we've experienced broken trust or betrayal or hurt, we're really drawn back into that picture that Christ is changeless, that his word is true, that he is who he says he is, that he embodies that which is reliable, trustworthy, dependable, honest, and altogether righteous. And so as believers, we have this confidence in Christ because of his character and how he has demonstrated his love for us. And ultimately, this is the foundation. This is that solid rock of trust that's going to help us endure the hurts of life when we encounter them. So guys, thank you so much for being with us today as you've listened in to The Roots of Broken Trust. I really hope that you tune in for part two because that's where we're going to talk about how do we manage the weeds of broken trust? What do we do once that's happened? Because there's some really key points that can help us do that. So thanks for being with us today with you in the weeds. It was great to be with you. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.